Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Let's get them out of their seats and into the ring. You got to kidding me! This is the Finishing Move Podcast with Nick Cellini, Big John, and Adam Gillespie. We've got recaps, the latest storylines, and the biggest moments from the week. Now it's the Finishing Move from the Fans Podcast Park. Welcome to another edition of the Finishing Move. Big John Radcliffe. Well, the rest of the team, they're actually off working hard, getting some other things done. So we have our favorite fill-in guest. He uh, likes to jump off the top of the steel cage. He will hit you with a steel chair. And every now and again, if you're not paying close attention... He'll stab you with a fork. He's Brandon Joseph. I'm the mystery partner. Yeah. You come running down to the ring. At least you're not like the 12-year-old little girl that Braun Strowman had where he became tag team champions with. So, BJ, we're going to do like we always do here on The Finishing Move. We are going to cover AEW, WWE, and then we're going to do like we always love to do, go back in time and talk a little WWE and pro wrestling history. But before we get into that, we are we'd be remiss if we didn't say and send our condolences out to the family and the friends of former ECW pro wrestling star Jerome Young. You might know him as New Jack. He died at age 58 on Friday, suffering a heart attack that his family announced. You probably even know him if you've been watching and you're a longtime listener of the finishing move. The dark side of the ring where they did the story on him. New Jack, he was, well, he was different. Crazy. I don't want to call him crazy. No, he was. He was different. He was a wrestler that beat to his own drum. And honestly, just from everything that it comes from, in this day and time, a wrestler like New Jack would have been great in like those underground fighting leagues if he were a little bit like pro wrestling just so happens that was their underground fighting league back in the day. But he would have done better, much like a Kimbo Slice. In an underground fighting league. He would have been the most popular wrestler in today's era with YouTube. But just think about when he rose to fame. It was during the era of ECW. And it it was on the tapes. It was the VHS tapes. And you had to have one friend whose parents didn't care that he was going in the back of Sam Goody or FYE and buying the ECW Unleashed tapes and would pass it around and let everybody see it. But... That's where New Jack's claim to fame was. Can you imagine in this internet video streaming world if New Jack was coming into his own right then? It, he'd be the biggest thing on the internet. And But I, you mentioned the dark side of the ring, but this is something like I remember hearing about it a little bit after it happened, the mass transit incident yeah. where the 16-year-old kid got into the ring and New Jack just lost his mind. I mean, that's New Jack. New Jack That's was it. a thing. It wasn't like, oh, he's a wrestler. No, New Jack was an experience. But New Jack was also that type of wrestler that if you're a young and up-and-coming wrestler, that was the lesson that you had to learn Where because you, t- you couldn't get that from someone like The Undertaker at the point that he was. Someone even like an Arn Anderson just to go back a little bit further in time. New Jack was at a point where young wrestlers, from the way I understand it, he taught a lesson there that I think, I hope, Young wrestlers were able to understand. But he was a multi-time tag team champion during his days with extreme wrestling in the mid-90s. And he was often celebrated to be the most reckless and just go for it all in terms of wrestling. I mean, before you had Jeff Hardy and Shane McMahon jumping off the top of the Titantron, 
you had New Jack, who was basically jumping off the balcony through three tables on the Dudley Boys. Yeah, it was <laughs> creative would have never had anything for him just because of how crazy he was. He was the true, like, Dean Ambrose, lunatic, unhinged, yeah. and thing. No, like, New Jack was that. That wasn't a gimmick. That wasn't a persona. And you would think, like, if you look back at the highlights, and you can still find them on YouTube— this man should have been rolling in money the way that he just put himself out there. But no, he needed to keep doing it. He needed every penny. And, you know, the Dark Side of the Ring, he talks about how he didn't make the best life choices, but it was a lifestyle. Like The entering product was not a gimmick. It was not a work. Like That was his lifestyle. And you talk about the Dark Side of the Ring and going back just to YouTube. Go to YouTube. For any of you out there who say wrestling's fake, Look at his face over the years yeah. where he when he passed away, he had multiple indentions on his head from where he got stabbed with forks and had had what is it, halogen light bulbs cracked over his head. And you name it. I mean, this that wasn't that wasn't just wrinkles in his head. It wasn't just his age. This was the scenario of a guy that he had so many scars and cuts on his head that they just left permanent marks on him. Like guys like Austin, Triple H, and all those guys in Jericho, they're really sneaky with how they work the blade to where, you know, it doesn't leave a scar, but you get the color that you need. New Jack didn't care. No. <laughs> New Jack was just taking the blade and shoving it in his forehead. So we'll remiss an ECW legend, New Jack Jerome Young at age 58 years old. We also got news this week that on AEW for All Elite Wrestling, Tony Khan has basically decided and worked with his partner TNT where they are going to be moving to TBS next year. The network that they announced it on Wednesday that they'll be moving from their traditional uh, TNT role to TBS. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not even 100% sure I have TBS. Like the way cable works now, we, we talk about it here in our, our world where with baseball and, and, and the new affiliate, I don't want to bash them, but the new affiliates that handle the Braves and things of that nature. Hell, I don't know when I can you get can't a find them. Yeah, I'm not sure I have TV. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting to to see this move, and I think you know AEW pointed out in their press release, TBS is just as you know rich in the history with airing wrestling as well. But this is, I think, it also adds to the legitimacy of what AEW is doing because the reason why this move is happening, if you are a fan of sports business, and that's for a different podcast, but Turner Sports signed the NHL and. A lot of people believe that's going to go on Wednesday, so you'll have TNT, Tuesday, Thursday, NBA, Wednesday, NHL, and then Tuesdays on TBS, they'll have Major League Baseball. Yep. Now Wednesdays on TBS, they will have AEW, so I think it's a natural synergy with, you know, what AEW's trying to do, what the Khan family in Tony is trying to do with the guys to build this out to be very amicable in making this move, and I don't necessarily think it's going to hurt their viewers because it's not like... They vulture viewers. It's kind of like SmackDown on cable versus Raw on USA Network. It, it's just kind of like SmackDown gets more viewers just because they're on network television. There's more, you know, just to pull from. Going from TNT to TBS, I think the viewership will still move. It will still be fine. And, you know, I, I think that's just kind of cement the legacy because they're getting more content, more programming hours from Turner Sports. And I think what what they're actually showing as well is that at this point in time when they're moving, they feel like they have enough of a fan base that they can do this. 
for some businesses, for some TV shows, moving to another time slot is just a risky, a risky deal. It's like when Impact was moving from when Monday to Wednesday to Tuesday to Thursday Sunday to, to every day of the week to God yeah, knows wherever it would like be. When you have the fan base and you know they'll follow, it, yeah. it's it's a risky proposition. But I think they know that. Look, and they have the business model. WWE has proven it. SmackDown on Friday, the, you had NXT, which uh, AEW went up against for for since its inception, that they won those wars. They've even gone as far as now NXT moving to Tuesday. So I think they realize, you know what, we can move wherever we want. Because when you look at it in its totality, we're back to two companies in terms of major pro wrestling. I mean, no disrespect to Impact Wrestling, but in its totality, we're back to two businesses, two companies. We can move comfortably, and it's not going to affect us a ton. And I think with AEW one, I think it's the better of the two products as a whole uh, between WWE and AEW. I enjoy watching Dynamite. I think it's very fun week in week out, and from the storyline, the progression, and the creative angle, I think that's where AEW is better now. There are a lot of things they need to get better at if they want to grow and be on a bigger stage. I look back to that match, blood and guts that they had with Jericho <laughs> falling off into what we were told was a concrete step the whole night, and obviously it it's not quickly to be concrete. Yeah, and then there was a lot of things in that match where you saw Jericho communicating with the referees on the outside, so they need to get better with camera or blocking and things like that. That's something that we've been very critical of, even most recently uh, with the the recent, uh, basically, war games that they match, where it was the pinnacle taking on the inner circle, Yeah, where there was a lot of cutting. There was a lot of, as they call it in the business, blading. Yeah. And we, we've said it. I mean, look, the beauty of AEW is that it's wrestlers who run a wrestling company. Here's the only problem. Wrestlers don't necessarily know how to manage camera angles, yeah. so to speak, where you could see Jericho going into his wristband to get it. You saw a lot of that, and it, it is the flaw to it. Also, the other flaw, you know, and basically just in terms of what it is, one of the things that I've been very critical of, I'm a big fan of stables. But, boy, if there is it their fair share of, you have Taz. Every t- everybody Guerrero. is a part of a Everybody's a, It's even so much now, it's a running gimmick for their new, uh, new acquisition, Jade Cargill. Mm-hmm. Who will she be signed with? Well, just let her wrestle. Yeah. Let's just start there. We don't need any more factions. You actually got to let people just kind of let them go. And, and I can understand it to some degree. There are some wrestlers that, you know, we we go to WWE. You look at Roman Reigns' career has gotten to a higher point because he is with Paul Heyman. Uh, Bobby Lashley, he is with MVP. Having managers, having stables can take your take your career from a 10 to a 20. But some of these guys are starting off at five. Let them get to ten. Yeah, and I understand a little bit of the thinking because they don't script promos and things like that. A lot of guys shouldn't have a microphone in their hand. Correct. You're exactly and right. I think it's evident on AEW. Some guys could, you know, use the help of you know one or two writers. You don't need to write anything with Jericho. And I think it's passed down a little bit to a Sammy Guevara with how Jericho, you know, is helping him get along. He's come so far in his promos from when AEW first started to now. He You can actually trust him with a microphone, but, you know, to have a mouthpiece is one thing. To have stable after, st- like Tully Blanchard, like why is he still being trucked down and being Jake. I forgot Jake, Jake the, Snake the Snake was with. He's a one-man stable now. <laughs> yeah, I forgot he was, you know, leading a group of one man in Archer. Arn Anderson, has, he, he has the uh, the Nightmare family. You got uh, Vicky Guerrero. Yeah. She has a stable. There's just become so many of them that 
even if you just took it in, if the payoff at some point in time became like a WWE Survivor Series, you know what? It's going to be stable versus stable. Make your teams match up where if it's four guys and two women, we're going to put them up, and this is going to be the stable championship. It's something different. It's outside of the box, but I don't see the point of them anymore. Yeah. And, and they've gone a little bit too far with so it. So, like, with the two AEW Dark shows, I think it's Dark and Dark Evolution. Correct. And now they have, they're adding a one-hour Friday night show called Rampage. I wonder how this is going to work with a lot of the relationships they have with NWA. You saw the NWA Women's Champion. You have the Impact Belts basically featured on AEW shows. They have a relationship with New Japan. I wonder how all that's going to work out, and maybe you do see a little more prevalence out of all that. And, you know... I don't know how this relationship continues with Impact because AW1 lapped them in the first year and now continues to outgrow them. I know they have that Don Callis, you know, connection with the guys who run AW growing up with Don Callis and Don Callis, I think, owning an ownership stake in Impact. But at some point, they're going to look at this and go, you know what? We're, our product is elevating their product, but they're not really doing anything. For us, and maybe it's just because they don't have to pay, you know, the good brothers and all this salary, but they still get the benefit of having those guys. I think at one point in time, at some point, it's going to have to be poaching. I mean, you're going to look at guys from Impact Wrestling like Moose and uh, Rick Swan that they're going to look over and just say, you know what? I've been I've been here for so long. I've put in my work. I've put in my time. And I'm being overshadowed by a part-timer, basically. And it's what we see in WWE, where people hated it that Brock Lesnar was basically a part-timer. At some point in time, it's going to say, you know what, I can jump ship. And I think that's where you're going to create your next level of infighting. And it's going to get pretty interesting with that. Now, we're also coming off the heels of a pay-per-view for WWE, WrestleMania Backlash. It aired on pay-per-view Sunday night. And during the show, let's just say between the match between Damian Priest and The Miz... Things got a little bit of a walking dead feel going on with it. They bought out zombies. And I have I have a critique about this. I thought the zombies went a little bit over the top. <laughs> but also in the same vein, I didn't hate it. And I'll tell you exactly why I didn't hate it. Wrestling, but we've always said it, it's scripted. It's predetermined. It's an, an extension of our imagination. Yeah. We have the fiend. Well, we know the fiend doesn't pop up from out of the ring. We have the undertaker who is what? A dead, dead man. Kane. Kane. So, yeah, it didn't make sense to me. I don't get it in terms of a story or what the payoff is, but I also don't care because the match itself, I've seen five times. You've seen Damian Priest taking on The Miz and a lumber. Uh, you just added Lumberjacks, and okay, he might have gotten eaten. All right, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's the. The point that's absolutely true, like, we saw the match. We we saw the match basically at WrestleMania. We saw the match week in, week out, leading into WrestleMania backlash, backlash, WrestleMania, however the phrasing of it was. But, yeah, to throw in the zombies, that's the problem for a lot of people. That's the sticking <laughs> that's point line? that there were zombies involved in this. But you, The Fiend, Alexa Bliss is now new role with Sister Abigail, Lily, Lily. and AT&T. I don't know, but... We've had to suspend our belief for so Did long. Did you say AT&T? <laughs> <laughs> but we've had to suspend our belief so long about things relating to WWE that I, I think this is all par for the course. And I don't know what the next step is for a guy like Damian Priest, but at some point you have to elevate him from The Miz and Johnny Drip Drip <laughs> into something else. But 
you can't put him in the same ring with Bobby Lashley because no. you've built Bobby Lashley to a point where, I mean, only Brock Lesnar maybe can be the guy that dethrones him. And it they've painted themselves in a, a very interesting predicament. I mean, like I spoke of earlier, Roman Reigns, it's kind of, who's going to beat Roman Reigns? Who's going to beat Bobby Lashley? You, you're not using Braun Strowman appropriately. We've seen enough of Drew McIntyre. I don't want to be disrespectful to him. I mean, yes, I would have gone with the fact if you would have had Cesaro beat Roman Reigns. Great. You can't tell me Riddle is going yeah. to beat Bobby Lashley. There, you know, we always talk about on the show, there's certain individuals out there that I look at and I'm like, I can kick his ass. <laughs> and if I'm Bobby Lashley, I look up and down the roster. There's only one other person I could put out there, and I hope they bring him back because I think WWE, they're just they're falling into the, the situation of they're misusing the talent that they have. And it's Keith Lee. Yeah. He's the only other person out there. Now, you know, eh, we'll say it right here because it's just you and I here in the ring. Championship gets a little bit black at this point in time. <laughs> yeah, I think, and I, you know, I think that big moment of WrestleMania, there's a reason why a lot of people were emotional when they saw Kofi Kingston oh, yeah. win the title oh, yeah. at WrestleMania. I mean, even you bring it to this most recent one when you see uh, um, Sasha Banks yeah. taking on Bianca Belair. I'm, let's, who would have ever thought in a million years two black women headlining one of the nights of WrestleMania? That's not Vince's M.O. No, and that and that's the whole thing of he has a certain type. And Bobby Lashley checks a lot of those boxes. Step one. He's tall. He's big. He's burly. Looks violent. But, yeah, can he be the face of the company? And that A lot of different factors go into being the face of the company. And Roman, he's... Be honest, he's a lot more palatable because he is of a lighter orientation, too, that people look at him. He is of that Polynesian descent. It's a lot more palatable than having Bobby Lashley or, you know, even Kofi Kingston. There was a lot of kick kickback of Jinder Mahal also. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Jinder Mahal, Jinder Mahal was a business move. They knew when Absolutely. they were moving into India. Look, we need to go ahead and like same to the same extent. The day they decide to partner with New Japan. Shinsuke Nakamura will be a world champion yeah. in one of the, on one of the shows to move into it. And I hate to say that because I don't want to diminish the the talents of a of a Shinsuke Nakamura, but unfortunately we know what the, we know the writing of the And wall. the problem with WWE also is they built Sheamus up to be this mid-card superhero and I get it. Sheamus is really close apparently with Triple H. Yeah. He's a re really close with management and and the home base, but he has kind of defined the mid-card as we have an untouchable WWE champion in Bobby Lashley and apparently an untouchable U.S. champion in Sheamus. So what are these guys fighting for? What are the ricochets and all of these other guys competing for, if not that? So I think that's you know a big problem going into a event like WrestleMania Backlash was that we all knew the outcome. We all knew that Drew and Braun were not going to beat Bobby Lashley. But then you have a guy like Damian Priest that puts on a pretty good match. I mean, it's a little clunky at times. Correct. I mean, he's still learning how to come into form, but the gimmick is right on point. This whole live forever, but it's kind of dark. A lot like Aleister Black. Kind of dark, but still very interesting, very palatable, and can get over with the crowd, but yeah, it's just... I don't see the direction for Damian Priest to rise above his station He's currently. Mid, he looks like a mid-card at best. And maybe it is Sheamus. Maybe he goes after Sheamus and he can win a U.S. title. But the way it's currently built right now, and I know we're going to get into more of what happened on Raw, th there is no path. Like This yeah. is Bobby Lashley's house, and 
again, I, I think on both shows, the heir apparent to beat them is pretty obvious. It's just win. And it's unfortunate that when you look at superstars of that ilk, but you look at it also, you look at someone like Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, who was the eternal mid-carder, never won a championship, but he put on a hell of a match, and it's something that you could get out of it. Well, we also got new WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. We now have Tamina and Natalia, who beat Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler on Friday night SmackDown to become the new Tag Team Champions. And honestly, for me, it's long overdue that they gave Tamina, Tamina a championship. She's been a worker. She's a legacy. Her, her, she's the daughter of Jimmy Superfly Snooker. She's a part of the Anoy family. Mm-hmm. So, you know, The Rock, The Usos, the list goes on and on. It's kind of long overdue that they gave her some sort of championship run. 13 years or something like that she's yeah. been with the company? And first ever championship. championship. Like, I think they said that she won a 24-7 championship for like, 10 seconds. You know, I won the 24-7 Yeah, who, who hasn't? Gronk hasn't. Yeah, and we're going to go back to that. I want to talk with you about the 24-7 championship and get your thoughts on but, that. But, you know, you just she's one of the people that have been the core staple. Because remember, when they had all the pretty divas who weren't necessarily wrestlers and they needed somebody who can actually put talent in the ring, she was that person. Natalia was that person. And then you get the actual wrestlers. You get the Baileys. You get the Sasha Branks. You get the Charlotte Flairs. You get the Becky Lynches. And then Tamina kind of falls. She was really the backbone. Her and Natalia were really the backbone of a really tough transition. Like, you had Naomi in there also who came, and I forget Naomi's partner when they were part of the Funkadactyls. Oh, uh... Cameron. Yeah, and Cameron wasn't really a wrestler. She was more of the model-type model person. And, you know, those three really ushered in that from that Divas era, the end of that Divas to era, the women's revolution. to the women's revolution. And I don't think they get enough credit. Now, Naomi had an opportunity to win the SmackDown women's uh, title before everybody else. But you think of, you know, Natalia, Tamina, AJ Lee did a great job also, yeah. but there wasn't a lot of wrestling women there. And then you brought in a page and how different would this dynamic be if Paige was healthy and a page avoided the Alberto Del Rio saga of her life that she speaks upon now that she says was, you know, probably a poor error in, in choices, but you know, they, those two women in Italian Tamina just long overdue. And you know, Tamina's actually pretty good on a microphone too. I oh, think yeah. people forget like, she, she can talk, too, so she can be somebody who can contend and really rise, but you're not going to put her over uh, Sasha Banks or Bianca Belair or even a Bailey, but she can be interesting. I think Natalia's kind of weird in, like, in general, if you've seen her on Total Divas. Like, she's weird, and she she's doesn't— a cat lady. Yeah, she doesn't necessarily have the personality, like, that you want to be on the mic every week, but— I think Tamina can carry that team. And I, I agree with you, and I think if you took this dynamic and whoever was in charge at that point in time, I think what you would have in terms of the women revolution if you had Tamina, Natalia, Charlotte, A.J. Lee, uh, uh, Sasha Banks, I don't at me on this one. The, the Bellas aren't the popularity. They don't hold the records no. that they hold because you still had clunky matches from them. Nikki Bella obviously got, particularly after her injury, she got much better than Brie Bella, but you got clunky matches from them. If you go back and you watch the matches that Sasha and Charlotte have pulled on, Bailey and Sasha, uh, even Bianca Belair, even there's some clunky moments in there. Even now with Rhea Ripley, 
you look at the moments that you have now when some of these female superstars, these women superstars in there, you have some of these, I'll call them the quote unquote models that they had come through there. Even most recently now, something that WWE fans are not a big, are very happy about uh, the evolution. Yeah, I thought it was evolution, and they pulled a grip cord on that, and they just recycled the Lucian. Yeah, and I guess part for Eva. Soon it'll be a Brandon Lucian. Yeah, <laughs> but you also forget, and I think you know she has been held back because of injuries, and I've seen and read things about like she was a concussion away from never being able to wrestle again, Alexa Bliss. Yeah. You forget that she was actually really good in the ring. She's a multi-time. She was the first Grand Slam champion. Great on a microphone. Yes. You look back at some of her videos where she was on a mic and kind of controlled the crowd, controlled the ring, and, you know, whatever it is that's keeping her out of competition week in, week out. But, but that's where WWE is missing the mark, where in the scenario like we, like we talked about earlier, Nia Jax has gotten much better on the microphone. I'm not taking that away. But she from still her. almost kills people in the ring. You're 100 percent correct with that, and I think she, at some point in time, she will break someone's yeah. nose again. But you could take a Nia Jax, I, I take a uh, Alexa Bliss, and put her with Ronda Rousey. Yeah, Ronda was great in the ring. She was good in the ring. She was horrible on the microphone. Yep. She was too much. She was still trying to put on too much of a UFC promo. Put Alexa Bliss with her. And put a manager with her. Or even if you want to just go old-fashioned where Sonny would come out with, where she was with the Smoking Guns, where she was with Legion of Doom. Put her with one of these male wrestlers that is they just don't ever need to touch a microphone again. You put her with a Braun Strowman. You've already seen what that chemistry looked like in the mixed tag matches. And I think you'll get exponentially a better turnout that'll come from it. Now, we also got a chance to see a match that we feel like has been long overdue. And that's Asuka and Charlotte where they're going back and forth, and ultimately they are gearing up to where they'll be in a triple threat match where it'll be Asuka take – I'm sorry, where we saw them in a triple threat match. Asuka, Charlotte taking on Rhea Ripley. Well, now they're fighting to get back to the top against Rhea Ripley one more time. Before we get into their match, what do you think of the new Charlotte? She has a completely different – Yeah, something, something looks a little bit different from Charlotte. Like, you know, she went off TV to refresh her look. Maybe, you know, this whole Andrade relationship, she just – Feels a little more confident about herself, just in a different mindset. But, yeah, this Charlotte is a little more sexy. What if he said something? Because she said she doesn't completely understand mm -hmm. Spanish. He doesn't speak English. Mm -hmm. What if he said something and she didn't know what he meant and she went and did something and he's I, like, I just said, go get pizza. Yeah, it's just like this. And that's the thing. Like, she's flaunting it more, too. Before it was... You know, this is Charlotte. She's going to compete. She's going to be the most athletic doing the flips and things in the ring. Now she's trying to be sex symbol yeah. Charlotte, too, which, I mean, all the power to her. I'm not going <laughs> to tell her no, but it's just it's a little bit of a departure from what, like, we see. And, like, Becky Lynch, when she started on NXT and it was the Irish jig and dancing, yeah. and then she went through that little thing of, oh, she was going to try to be sexy, and then last kicker, and then the man. <laughs> You know, maybe this is just another phase of Charlotte, but yeah, it's just it was very interesting. Like you start watching, it's like something's different, <laughs> and well, then we next we comes something's really different, and now we see her now. Where, all right, are we sure that's Charlotte? Yeah, <laughs> and we're seeing it where she's going into this match against Oscar, which to me, honestly, I hate the fact that it seems like it's coming out, and maybe it seems like the, the to steal a phrase, the inmates are running the asylum where we're seeing Cesaro getting opportunities. 
I, I guess it's becoming interesting that people are speaking out in terms of the WWE's use with Asuka, and they're disappointed. They, even uh, future Hall of Famer Dave Bautista has come out and said it's a shame in the way that they're using her because basically her title runs have been insignificant, to say the least. Yeah, like she wins the title, and then you don't see her for a couple of weeks, and they end up burying her in squash matches, if she has a match at all. And mm-hmm. then it always seemed like Asuka was just holding. She was the she constant. Was a true placeholder. Yeah, she was the constant transitional champion, and. You know, it's nice to see Rhea Ripley being able to get some legs because, remember, she was supposed to have a WrestleMania moment, but then decided to give it to Charlotte uh, a couple years ago. But, yeah, with Asuka, it's just – remember when she was champion last time and they paired her with Io Shirari? Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like she doesn't really need a partner to come out with her. Right? And I get it. You took it to Japanese female wrestlers. You're like, your group. But she does, Asuka can stand on her own. Asuka – was very funny when she was just taking the microphone and yelling at people, and it was broken English that turned into full-blown Japanese, and you only understood three words. It was funny. It was a gimmick that was getting over with the fans because she only knew how to yell like certain things in English. Yeah, we can't even. Normally, this is be, would be if Nick Cellini was here, we'd emulate. <laughs> but this is the part where we're just not going to go there. And, but it worked, and, and that was the thing. Like They're not comfortable with a lot of things, and, you know, they just don't know how to push it or allow people to have that leeway into being creative in themselves. And I think that's what it's missing, and that's the thing that we see the biggest difference when we look at AEW versus what we're looking at now with WWE's product. Now, the match that ended uh, Monday Night Raw, Bobby Lashley put out an open challenge, which everyone thought it would be for the championship, but it was just a true open challenge. So we saw Bobby Lashley take on Kofi Kingston, and as we spoke of early. There's those individuals that you look around the room and you say, yep, I can kick his ass. I can, yep, yep. Kofi Kingston can't beat Bobby Lashley. I loved how MVP was like, no, 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 it's not. I wish they would have done that after. Yes. I the wish end. they would have let Kofi somehow win the match, however you want to do it, whether it's interference from Drew McIntyre, and even him walk out with the belt and give a week of everybody going, holy crap, Kofi Kingston's the champion again. And then you start next Monday's Raw with MVP playing the videotape going, I never said it was for the championship. Well, the referee to- never announced it as a championship. It was just the Bobby Lashley open challenge. Kofi won. Now he had to give back the belt. And now you have a true story that you can build on and expound on from there. At that point in time, now it's Kofi and and uh, Xavier Woods chasing to get the title. Yeah, and – I. You can, it's kind of like, and that's where it would have been good if the Hurt Business was a thing, because then they could have had Sheldon and Cedric kind of run interference with those guys, and then all of a sudden, Xavier and Kofi have something to fight. They have the rest of the Hurt Business while they try to get back to a Bobby Lashley, but, I mean, I have not seen Xavier Woods win a single match, I think, ever, so I don't know, (laughs) maybe they just think of him, and just think about earlier when they did Kofi versus Randy, you have... Two guys who are really good wrestlers in Kofi and Randy putting on a pretty good match. And then you have Xavier with the stupid trumpet and Riddle on a and scooter. Riddle on a scooter. Like the sideshow. And that's not knocking those two guys because Riddle's okay in the ring. And I think Kofi, I remember watching him a little bit in TNA. He, he was pretty good in the ring, but like you don't need the sideshow. Like let the product speak for itself sometimes. And. Not the sideshow antics. I think even where not only just the sideshow antics, the story is missed out. My nine-year-old son even came up with a great idea for him as we were watching it together. And you hear the New Day music come out, and as they both came out, he kind of stuck. My son looked at me and said, 
would have been better if Big E had come out with him. Mm -hmm. Just out of the blue, he's on SmackDown. He's going to answer the open challenge, and he wins it. Then you're looking at, well, now wait, there's a curveball we didn't expect. Yeah. Because as you look at wrestling, where everyone talks about the marks that are there, unfortunately, the marks, they don't really exist as much anymore because everything's so doggone predictable in the WWE, or it's just a rewash of what we've already seen from them. And the New Day is those three guys. Yes. They're, they're not together anymore. It's like it's cool if you want to Kofi and Xavier but they're not the New Day. Biggie by himself is not New Day extension on SmackDown. Like, give them their own branding. Let them own come up with something. That way, when you do bring them back together for something, it is special. You do get the pop when you hear, it's a New Day. Yes, yes. it is. And those three come out. Just just break up what we know. is. It's okay. You can, you can let it rest. And I think on the laurels, Biggie obviously can stand on his own. I think Kofi can stand on his own. I don't think they've ever really given him an opportunity because yeah. they've always partnered him with whether it was Evan Bourne, whether it was with CM Punk. He can stand on his own. And even to their podcast, I'm a fan of their podcast. I think part of this is also looking out for their boy because Xavier Wood said, if this New Day thing didn't work, Big E's going back down the developmental. Yeah. Kofi Kingston's going to be a mid-carder. And Xavier Woods, well, he has multiple degrees, and he's probably an English teacher well, somewhere. Well, here's the thing, too. And Xavier has done such a good job of making himself so valuable to the company because, think about it, E and Kofi are the wrestlers. Kofi's kind of the face. He's the funny guy. He's so valuable to the company now in, in a bad story. It's like Titus. Like Titus will have a paycheck for forever, forever. with WWE and with uh, Xavier trying to relaunch G4 and all these other interests that he has. And think about, at one point, the original G4 was owned by what owns Comcast, yep. Peacock Network now. So you have to think the extension will be there. And WWE is so interweaved with Comcast, Peacock, NBC Universal right now that it's going to be a natural fit there. He will always have a place. Maybe it is time for them just to go do their other ventures and it's weird to think that Kofi, uh, that Xavier Woods could be a WWE part-timer. But, I mean, you but look, there you, are other things that he can do. You look at what he's done, the Up, Up, Down, Down podcast. Yeah. They created a title belt for him yeah. to have on his podcast. And it's the one thing that they got upset with uh, uh, Long Island IZ yeah. for making his own internet championship. Look at what he's done. Xavier Woods has done that and created an own extension, his own world that's out there that – Several things can take place here. Number one, you've created a way where you now get the younger audience. So you can intermingle this darker era with a with uh, Damian Priest and still get that darker look from it and still get that younger audience, too. He'll have a role that's there. Is it a world champion? Is it a, is it a main eventer of no. WrestleMania? Absolutely not. But he'll be on WrestleMania every year, even if it's for some stupid gimmick. Whether it's just a pre-show, yeah. whether it's on commentary, whether it's on hosting, he will have a role. I don't know what the hell Titus O'Neil does, but Titus is always there when you look around. And to your point about what he's able to do with Up, Up, Down, Down, is you take a look at the way like social media works, and a lot of people consume the product of WWE as its own thing. We know, you know AJ Styles has a personality outside of being AJ Styles, and that's what you get to see on Up, Up, Down, yes. Down. You get to see those guys interacting, because what's the one thing everybody wants to know? What's it like? behind the curtain, in the locker room, and you get to see that. And it has done wonders because you hear people talk about how the locker room used to be as to how it is now. And 
it was a lot of people keeping to themselves, a lot of, you know, we're clicks in here. We're backstabbing. Yeah, and things like that. And Sounds familiar. You hear everybody saying now that the locker room is the best locker room they've ever had in WWE. The guys all get along. They're joking. And you get to see things like that, and you get to see sides of people that you normally don't get to see. You get to see Seth Rollins playing Madden. And you you don't really get the impression, oh, Seth Rollins is a big Madden player when he's walking out there in that persona. That kind of stuff is fun. I mean, for crying out loud, Xavier Woods, we saw a side of him with Paige, and he yeah, survived that. So Who else was in there? Brad Maddox? Brad Ma- yeah. He didn't survive. Yeah. So it lets you know, yeah. he survived that. Ooh. He can survive anything. It's a different type of locker room mentality. Different world back in those days. Speaking of back in those days, this is one of my favorite segments that we get to. On this week in wrestling history, 32 years ago, Roadhouse was released. The film starring Patrick Swayze. I know. Go with me on this one, guys. Starring Patrick Swayze as a bouncer protecting a refurbished roadside bar in Missouri from a corrupt businessman that also starred former NWA world champion Terry Funk in a very small role. And he looked old in that movie there, too. Terry Funk has always looked old. He's never looked young. Look, there's Morgan Freeman. There's Terry Funk. There's a handful of people that all my life, they've been old. They're internally old. Terry Funk is one of those individuals that all my life, he's been old. The film had modest success in the box office. through Though it was critically acclaimed and hated, it had a 30% ratings based on 32 reviews on Rotten Tomato. But it has since become a cult classic. I mean, you talk about the family guy. You talk about so many things. Roadhouse. (laughs) Roadhouse. What do you do? You be nice. (laughs) You continue being nice. Sorry, when do we stop being nice? I'll tell you when you can stop being nice. It became a cult classic of a film that honestly didn't really stand a chance, and now it's set to have a remake that will star MMA and former WWE champion Ronda Rousey. Roadhouse was just one of those movies, and I hope that they actually go all out and say, you know what, let's go get Tamina. Let's go get Nia Jax. Let's go get all of these former, these current and former wrestlers. Let's toss them in there. Let's just be over the top with it. Can Ronda Rousey act? I don't know. Like, I, I remember her as like a wrestler. Like It wasn't very good. Like Well, I mean. Her acting wasn't great in, in character. But. Well, she was in uh, Entourage. She beat up But Turtle. she was playing herself. Well, Okay, it's easy to be a fight. Look, one thing we know she can do. Can we call her Ronda around at Roadhouse too? Hopefully, she if she can't answer to a different name. Yeah, that, we might that'd have be the issue. toughest part. The only thing we know is that as long as you don't kick her in the chin like Holly Holmes did, she's all yeah, set to go. It's yeah. When that super kick happened there, she could kick my ass. I'm going to leave her alone. But yeah, I think like Roadhouse is one of those movies, you know, like Super Trooper, you know, one of those movies that funnier the older like we get watching it like they're more entertaining just because they're not overly great and things like it's like ready to rumble have (laughs) if you watch ready to rumble right now it is the greatest work of art (laughs) david arquette i forget the guy who plays the um Oh, he's Jin- from Hawaii Five-0. Yeah. He's, uh, I know who you're talking about. You've seen him before. Uh, he's like uh, Scott Kahn. Yes, James Kahn's James son. Kahn's son, yes. It's, it's horrible acting. I will rule you! The orange suit, the red suit that they come out in. It's just so bad, it's so good. And Roadhouse falls in, and it's not like it's not a cinematic work of King, art. King, we love you, King! King, you're the man! <laughs> 
Also on this day in history, 30, 31 years ago, NWA presented Capital Combat Return of RoboCop. You can see it on the WWE Network from the D.C. Armory in Washington, D.C. The event is noted for a promotional crossover in the appearance of, you guessed it, RoboCop who rescued Sting from a small cage during the show's main event. The crossover was to promote the soon-to-be, once again, this is not a cinematic work of art, RoboCop 2. You know, it's always fun, and, and bless them, WCW, NWA, they always cross that line. I mean, we saw the Kiss Demon that became yeah. a wrestler. We, we, we saw just so many bad ideas, and this one just ranks up there that you're telling me that Officer Murphy... RoboCop went to rescue Sting and was going to be involved in a pro wrestling match. Well, just running through this card really quick, and when I was sent this last night, I started looking at it and just the amount of people who are still in the business or dead. Like uh, the one-to-one ratio, like the Road Warriors, of course we know. You know, we still we've lost Hawk, unfortunately. Yeah. We still have Animal. Animal's still around. Animal's son is now retired from the NFL. That's, very <laughs> That's the word. Cactus Jack still with us. Bam Bam Bigelow unfortunately passed away. You get Teddy Long versus Paul Ellering in a hair versus hair match. Both of them don't have hair now because you know time took over. But Paul was just on. With AOP, Teddy Long still appears and dances every once in a while. That's a cruiserweight match at best, <laughs> by the way, too. Those are not the two biggest individuals in the business. Last time I saw Teddy Long, he tried to make a tag team match. <laughs> and then Hello, way out. if you're with me, player. Yeah, Brian Pillman. R.I.P. Just Michael Hayes in the Fabulous Freebirds in a strap match. Like, wow. Now, the match of it, though, that... and. I guess they're nope. Now they're out of, out of the business. Doom defeated the Steiner brothers, Rick and Stott Steiner, to win. I called Rick Steiner's kids college football games. He's now a pro football player. <laughs> like, and Scott Steiner has a son that's in high school now. Like, how weird is this? And Lex Luger, you know, God bless him, he's changed his life around. Apparently, he now lives in Buffalo. Yes, um, he does. You're just happy that he's on the list of the living here, given what he's gone through, and. You know, also Ric Flair. These are two guys that they were in a steel cage match for the NWA Heavyweight Championship, and we're just thankful they're both alive. And Ric Flair, who, let's just be honest, at any given moment we could look up and he could be in another match. It's amazing when you look at just this card going up and down just at that point in time. I mean, so many people on this card, and that's the part that's so disheartening. All the names that you named, RoboCop doesn't fit in there. Yeah. But they tried to put him in. 30 years ago, WCW presented Super Brawl from the Bayfront Arena in St. Petersburg, Florida. You had matches like the Fabulous Freebirds. They defeated the Young Pistols, which were Steve Armstrong and Tracy Smothers. You had Dan Spivey defeated Ricky Morton. Nikolai Nikolai Koloff defeated Tommy Rich. Dustin Rhodes taking on (laughs) Terrence Taylor. But also the fun part about here, Oz. Defeated Tim Parker in 40 seconds. Oz, who actually was Diesel, who was actually Kevin Nash. So the interesting thing is, and one weird thing, Dan Spivey used to be my dad's neighbor. <laughs> Good old Dangerous Dan. Really tall, really nice. You don't believe, like, he used to tag team with Mark Calloway, The Undertaker. But, yeah. And then you get Dustin Rhodes, and you think back, Google an image of what Dustin Rhodes was back then. He was... 
you know, a little bit chunky. Wearing the black shorts, he had a little bit longer hair, but Cowboy not like who looked to be too yeah, big. Not like gold dust long hair. It's just it's really weird to see that Dustin Rhodes as it goes to gold dust as to the Dustin Rhodes we see now in AEW. It, and it's great to see just the evolution of individuals. Like you said, when you look at Dustin Rhodes and the evolution of there, Oz, Kevin Nash came out seven foot two, green paint on his face. <laughs> He looked like he looked like a he looked like a sheik. He looked like a genie. Yeah. That's what it was. He came across as a genie with this silver turban on his head. It, it just was one of the most unique things that you had ever seen. It was very a very strange card. The main event for for it was Ric Flair. He defeated Tsunami Fujinami to unify the WCW and NWA World Heavyweight Championships. It just shows that the thing the of the draw that he was. How he could bring, you could put him anywhere and you could put him in matches with all the different wrestlers that he's gone through. He was going to be a draw and he was going to get attention and no matter where you put him. Yeah, 26 years ago in Montreal, Quebec, Razor Ramon defeated Jeff Jarrett in a ladder match to win the WWF Intercontinental Championship. Razor Ramon, at some point in time, WWF just kind of went over the top with the ladder matches because they gotten so many out of them. They, we all know the one that he, the two that he did with Shawn Michaels, how historic they were. They were just bound and determined to strike gold again with it, and they just couldn't do it ever again. Glad to know that WWE didn't just start, you know, with the overkill. <laughs> like back then, it was hey, ladder match works. Let's put Razor Ramon in every ladder match. Let's see how it goes. Jeff Jarrett, yeah, sure. Let's do Jeff Jarrett too. It, it just they kept trying it over and over again, and it didn't really stick again until we got the tag teams where we got Edge and Christian, the Hardy Boys, and uh, the Dudley Boys. Nineteen years ago, WWE presented Judgment Day from the Gaylord Entertainment Center in Nashville. This was the first pay per view following the name change from WWF to WWE. Some promotional material remained on the old with the old WWF name and logo. They had to change their name from the WWF because the World Wildlife Foundation mm-hmm. was inf- they had infringed upon it, so they went from World Wrestling Federation to World Wrestling Entertainment. It's the weirdest thing, and you can go back and you can kind of read some things about that settlement because in America— I think the courts ruled that there was such a difference. Like, nobody's going to confuse the World Wrestling Federation with the World Wildlife Fund. But somehow in England, they said, you know what? We can see the confusion here. And the WWE was like, we can't have two different names in two different countries. So they basically had to change their name because the ruling was held in a, a British court that those two companies were so similar and they could not be both with the acronym WWF. But, yeah, it was very interesting how quickly that name change happened. And so discreetly <laughs> and under the – I still remember when it took place. The Worldwide <laughs> Wrestling Entertainment. <laughs> I was like, wait, no, you're the W. What did I miss yeah. here? And I still love it that you still see the T-shirts that are out there to this day where people make fun of it. A panda bear with a steel chair. It's like, yeah. Get the F out. (laughs) So we saw a wide array of different matches that took place there. In the Sunday Night Heat pre-show match, you had William Regal defeat D'Lo Brown for the European Championship. You had Eddie Guerrero defeat defeat Rob Van Dam to retain the WWE Intercontinental Championship. This was in the days where uh, this wasn't a true women's revolution, but you had some women wrestlers who were very talented, very athletic, and wanted to prove themselves as wrestlers, like Trish Stratus, who defeated Stacey Keebler to retain the WWE Women's Championship. Stacey Keebler had no business being in any match that was there. Miss Hancock from WCW 
didn't want to be a wrestler, but she wanted the paycheck that came along with showing up on bikinis and things like that. And the total opposite, Trish Stratus, who was a wrestler, a fitness model, had to put on the bikinis to keep her paycheck and things like that. That just shows to the, like, the, the crude nature of WWE and how they treated women at the and time. And at this point in time, this was in Vince McMahon in his prime. Mm-hmm. This is when Vince McMahon— Prime I, creeper. Yes. I always say, Vin, you know, back in the day of this— some guys, they, they ordered Playboy or whatever they needed. Vince McMahon just lived it out. He actually just said, I want to see attractive women in their underwear. Here's a match. <laughs> that's what it is. And you that's the way you got to success with it was you had to fit the mold of what he wanted because if you didn't, you weren't going to get a ton of TV time. Jacqueline didn't get a lot of TV time. No. Ivory was not. Ivory got put in the right to censor, so she could not take off her clothes. Molly Holly. Put on a full leotard and became a superhero. Yep. But then in the same vein of that, you had Sable, who at every chance they could have her exposed her. (laughs) She was exposed. You had Steve Austin. He defeated the Big Show and Ric Flair in a handicap match. This was at a time, you know, Stone Cold was on his way up and he had a little bit more to go to get there. But you knew at that point in time from what you could see with Stone Cold and just the matches like this that you knew this guy is going to be white, white hot and he's one of the became one of the greatest wrestlers. And more to the point of things have never changed in WWE. Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman defeat the Hardy Boys in a tag team match. Paul Heyman has never competed in a match. Like, yeah. like actually like tried to take a bump. He's not like Michael Cole. Credit to Michael Cole. He's actually taking bumps in matches. Paul but- Heyman showed up in... Dress slacks, suspenders, a button-up shirt, and knew, I'm never getting in. I'm not worried. But they broke Brock Lesnar the same way they do now then. And, look, why fix it if it ain't broke? The Undertaker, he defeated Hollywood Hogan to win the WWE Undisputed Championship, dating back to WrestleMania that was their third world title change in as many months. Once again, things didn't change. The Undertaker, I don't think the streak should have ever ended. No. But it was a time for it. This was also a time when WWE, they were, uh, they liked to push the envelope. You had Rikishi and Rico defeated Billy and Chuck to win the WWE Tag Team Championships. If you guys remember Billy and Chuck. I mean, it will, <laughs> the stuff, it's a gimmick you can't do today, but it was a great no. gimmick. The stuff they got away with back then. I mean, we always talk about it here when we talk about, like, Harlem Heat, how yeah. the first time they bought them out, they bought them out in a man dressed in a Confederate suit <laughs> wearing prison uniforms. You had Chuck and Billy. Uh, how do I want to say this? They sentence? were a— they, they tried to get married. Yeah, they were a homosexual couple, air quotes around couple, that when it came to them getting married, it was supposed to be, oh, we just did this for attention. But I think one had a crush on the other— had developed a crush. They had matching. They had matching uh, uniforms, which wasn't a problem until you got to their headbands, <laughs> where they wore each other's headbands with their different names, with their respective names on it, just to kind of show, kind of like friendship rings. It was every stereotype that could have been pushed on network television twice a week. And it's one of those things that that's one of those ones where we here we always like to know who came up with it. Some of them we find out. I do want to know was this Vince. Was this Chuck and Billy? Was this Vince Russo? Who was there at that point in time that said, this is great. This is a great idea. But they still had some great theme music. <laughs> and they had great matches. I mean, You look up that Chuck and Billy uh, theme music, it is on point. They had, I mean, when you talk about, once again, 
both former tag team champions with multiple multiple time tag teams. Billy Gunn, when he's ready to hang it up, the WWE will have no choice but to officially put him in the in the Hall of Fame. Chuck Palumbo, not so much, but you'll have no choice but to put him in there at that point in time. Fifteen years ago, WWE Films released its first theatrical film, See No Evil, a film that starred Kane Jacobs. You might uh, Glenn Jacobs, excuse me, you know him as Kane, a serial killer, Jacob Goodnight, that was a pennant for keeping his victims' eyes. Turns out a profit of turns a profit as it cost fifteen million in the box office to make, and it t- bought in over an additional eight million dollars on top of the fifteen that it had already made. WWE didn't need to go into the film industry. No, they didn't. It was not a great movie, but you know, which one of their movies has been? Maybe the Marine One. I think. What are we on? Marine Nine 19. now, or whatever it is. Um, oh, the Santa Claus. No, that wasn't very good either. No. Yeah. So yeah, you know, they they tried. I mean, they even gave Triple H a, a movie where he's like oh, yeah, a bodyguard. He, body did do that. he had a one where he was a bodyguard for a kid. Yeah, he did do that. Yeah, that's. It was like on a school bus too. Yeah, yeah. I think the only one that they've. I got. I got to give him credit. Most recently, it's on Netflix. It stars Keith Lee and. Uh, I don't know who else is in it. That's probably been the only one that's been of any any sheer enjoyment. All the rest of them have been... The Chaperone was a Triple Oh, that's right. First of all, here's several problems, because I can remember what that the picture looks like. Here's this happy-go-lucky Triple H. Whether he was in DX or whether he was the Cerebral Assassin or whoever he might have been... He was way too jolly on that cover. You see him with his arms folded. The beard's gone, so he doesn't have the beard, which he did in ring at that point in time. And he's just sitting there with this fake it-eating grin on his face. And it's the worst film. I've sat and watched it before. It is absolutely one of the worst films that you've ever seen. And here's the strangest thing. Who's his co-star in it? Ariel Winter from Modern Family. Oh, goodness. The nerdy daughter. (laughs) It just goes to show that, look, WWE, they are not above helping to get things started and help get the, help get young actors started on <laughs> I don't know, their but. career. The WWE has been up a wide of different array of places, and it's intriguing to see where they're going to go because in the same thing, when we're looking around at pro wrestling, you look at AEW, they now have competition. They now have someone that's out there, and WWE, they might need to try and figure out a way to add more of competitive nature back to it. I mean, they lost the Tuesday night, the Wednesday night wars where NXT was going up against AEW, and they got to figure out a way to do it, and these wonderful movies that they're putting out are not helping in any of my arguments. But I also look to, you know, the end game, and we talked about this a little bit earlier. What's the end game for Bobby Lashley? It has to be a Brock Lesnar. What's the end game for Roman Reigns? The end game is The Rock. He's going to do this whole head of the table thing. He's going to get both Uso brothers on board. He's going to walk around. I'm the head of the table, blah, 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 this, that, and the other. And then it may be way too early to start this. I don't know if they can carry this for another year, but they oh, get God, the Rock no. back in there. At some point, the Rock to go, I'm the original head of the table. Rock beats Roman. I mean, That's look, how it has the end. How else does it end? Now, the beauty of this is the family that they're a part of, Look, you can go on. I mean, Rikishi's still alive. Yeah. You can add Nia Jax, who's a part of this family. Tamina's a part of this family. Naomi's a part of the family. Then you have a whole legacy that are out there in other companies right now that you can bring into this. You can go about, a, you can make the NWO all over again with the Annoy family. 
I would have loved it because if you like dig a little deeper, like Roman Reigns likes to get into like Twitter fights with people, and he gets into Twitter fights a lot with Tomatonga, who's like his his second cousin. second cousin or something like that, and they go back and forth calling each other all kind of names on Twitter. If you follow his work in um, New Japan and him and uh, uh, Bad Luck Fale yeah. and all those guys, the Bullet Club there, the Gorillas of Destiny. They're really good. They have no intention of ever coming to WWE. I think they tried out with them and worked with them for a little bit, said it doesn't fit their style, and they get a lot more money wrestling in Japan. But that would also have been a way that you have different members of the family coming back in to try to overthrow him. But I think if you're going to go with this head of the table thing, the only person that can overthrow the head of the table is the true head of the table, The Rock. And maybe it is something he just comes out and costs him a match, and then you feud that way so The Rock doesn't have to get in the ring. He's way too valuable to be wrestling right now. And it's not going to be a long-standing yeah. feud. You're not going to get a long – I mean, the last time we saw The Rock in any kind of long, drawn-out story, you you go back to uh, him and John Cena, him and CM Punk, yeah. when he changed from the Spinner Championship to the modern uh, WWE World Championship that we see Maybe now. he wins the match and then forfeits the title. And no. <laughs> you gotta, you, he's going to have to lose it. He has to drop it. Because, I mean, look, we had Rock versus Cena <laughs> one and two. He had to get Cena back <laughs> over. And – it's just a matter of who does The Rock want to put back over. Yeah. Roman Reigns doesn't need to be put over. He's he's going to be as high as he's ever going to be right now in terms of his championship. It's a matter of who he wants to put back over. And I think that would be the most interesting part is if The Rock decides, look, Roman can handle it on his own. Yeah, I want to put over Cesaro. I want to put over Big E. I want to put over some of these other superstars to see what we can do here. That would be the most intriguing thing that can come out of it. Yeah, and I wonder, too, because... If you watch the WWE 24 about when Seth Rollins cashed in his money in the bank, it was pur- purposeful that he pinned Roman and things like that, and they weren't going to have him beat Brock, but Seth was like, thank you for this, blah, 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 to Roman and taking the pinfall to give him the title. But remember, that was supposed to be Roman's moment, and he just wasn't over enough. Correct. And they kept that away. Roman's a good company guy, and by all accounts, he, he knows the business. He plays the game that he has to. You got to believe that looking back on it, maybe he still feels some way about it. Or maybe he's overcome that. He has reached the pinnacle. If he never would have reached it, maybe he would have harbored ill will. Does he want to put over a guy like Cesaro? Because that would be great, too, if somehow, some way he gave Cesaro a moment, knowing that you know people had to do their deed for him. But I think Cesaro's going to be tied up with Seth Rollins from now until eternity because— why not? The WWE is going to make that storyline go for however long it works. I think that I think it, and that's what I alluded to earlier, where I say the inmates run the asylum. I think the the members of the locker room they respect and like Cesaro so much they want to see him be successful. I mean, here's a guy. Look, I, I've said from day one, you made him a legitimate. He's a legitimate Paul Heyman guy. Vince McMahon squashed him on his own. Yeah, he went on on Steve Austin's podcast and said, "You have to have it." He has everything else except it, and he's right. One thing Cesaro is missing, and I don't know if it's just because of him being being foreign that we as Americans don't understand all of his personality. So he's missing that it factor. And you give him a—you saw the moments when he was a tag team champion with uh, Sheamus, how entertaining they were, the bar. Yeah. Sheamus was the talker. Let them be. As a single superstar, either A, you give him a manager, you give him a Paul Heyman, you give him someone— but I think Roman Reigns and the locker room like the fact that here's a guy who's a hard worker. Here's a guy who's been relatively safe in the ring. 
and you want to give them that shot. And I think that's what we're starting to see, and hopefully we're starting to see, I should say, with the WWE, is that the actual wrestlers themselves are looking around. We've seen Randy Orton do it for years. He was the reason that Kofi Kingston never got another shot off of he botched one move, and Randy said he's dangerous. But even watching uh, the A&E biography with Booker T, where he threw Stone Cold through a table, when this was when the uh, the takeover of WCW had happened, that could have ended Booker T's career. Yeah, because he took the number one guy, got him injured. Stone Cold said, "No, it's all my fault," and he put him over. And now we're looking at a two-time Hall of Famer. If Roman can put him over, then look, we might be looking at Cesaro as a future world champion and a future Hall of Famer. Yeah, but I also just wonder, like, you had somebody like Rusev now Miro, who had everything. He was great in the ring, very entertaining on a microphone, and some of the promos he's cutting on AEW. Pretty darn good now, and what what was his you know shot being held back? Ricochet is actually pretty entertaining, pretty good on on a microphone. Does that man eat carbs? I I don't know. I mean, the man has he has has a nine pack. Yeah, negative body fat and things. He has a nine pack. I mean, you talk about him and Finn Balor, yeah, and that's another one that you're wondering. You know, the guy when he Finn Balor was our first WWE Universal Champion. He was for ten hours and never got another shot, and hasn't gotten back to that position. It'll be interesting to see what comes up in the world of wrestling. And if you want to find out more about it, follow us on social media. You can follow me at JohnRad450. You can follow my tag team partners, the Road Dog at, at RoadDog680 and Nick Cellini at Cellini Nick, as well as Brandon Joseph. BJ, where can they find you? B. Joseph Radio. You guys have been listening to The Finishing Move. Wherever you get your podcast, like, subscribe, comment. It helps us find other wrestlers. Retweet it. We tweet out every week when we drop a new episode because if you don't, BJ will come looking for you. He will bring a steel chair, and then he will take you into the fiery infernos of hell where you and Kane will meet up one-on-one. And I'll bring that spray can that uh, AEW used to beat uh, Christopher Daniels last week. We'll have to figure out exactly what that is. Yeah. Lidocaine or yeah. hairspray? Better than the cattle prod that they passed off as a taser in WCW in the 90s. If not, we'll show up and we'll keep blades under our wristbands. And yeah. We'll, just put cuts we'll on new jack you. Yeah, completely. Until next time, you've been listening to The Finishing Move. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Wrestling's fake. Wrestling's not fake! This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Is there chaos in your closet? Look, Blouse, you've got some nerve hanging there like that. I can't help it. I'm jammed in here next to this suit. Hey, I'm a three-piece, all right, which means I need a little more room. You've got a lot of attitude for a linen suit. I'm a polyester blend, sweetheart, and there needs to be room for men's clothes, too. Hi, I'm Christina, and in Artisan Custom Closets, we help families organize and simplify their closets with customized storage solutions. See what's possible for your home at artisancustomcloset.com and then call us for a free in-home consultation. 